strategy, design, marketing, UX, digital, development. This is Agencies That Build. This show is dedicated to leaders and teams that design and deploy in the digital world. My name is Jesse, and I'm a marketer and an agency owner. And I'm Varun. I'm not a marketer, but a coder and an agency partner. This show is sponsored by Together We Ship. On a mission to help agencies grow. All right, rock on. Hi, Varun. How are you? Great. How are you? Long time no chat. That's going to be my catchphrase, I've decided. Episode three, even though, you know, we just talked. <laughs> just so, talked it's true. Um, all right, everybody. So today's guest is a thought leader, a speaker, frequently at DjangoCon, PyCon, and Salt Conference. He's published many works in Forbes, Fast Company, Tech Republic. He's the co-author of High Performance Django. He's founder of Lincoln Loop, Pete Baumgartner. Welcome to the show, Pete. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's an epic introduction that you have right there. It sounds a lot more impressive than it is, I think. <laughs> All right. So in episode three, what we're going to do is we're going to change things up and we're going to ask you, you know, we've, we've done a couple episodes as Varun and I've eased our way in and we actually really love this question. So we're going back to it. We asked it in season one. So the first question out of the gate is uh, myth busting smash some kind of myth for us, some bogus strategy, a misconception, something that you want to set the record straight on, something you want to clear up. What do you got cooking? What do you think? Okay. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to run with, uh, you really don't need a deep connection of people uh, to be all plugged into a network uh, in order to start an agency and, and start doing this. Um, I, I started Lincoln Loop uh, out in the kind of middle of nowhere in the mountains in Colorado. I didn't know anybody in Silicon Valley or, you know, San Francisco or anything like that. And, um, you know, just try to do good work and kind of work my way up the, up the ladder. And uh, it, it's worked out pretty well for us. So, so counterintuitive. I mean, when we say <laughs> deep network of people, you must have some sort of network. Like you're not sitting in a corner coding and building away right there has to be or are, are we just you just kind of dove in built it and just started chatting with people you know give us talk to us a little bit more about yeah. that yeah i think that i mean I, I i think that was it i think i think diving in and and uh putting yourself out there and you know whether it's writing or speaking or you know participating in online discussions or you know, whatever it is, I think pretty quickly you can, uh, you know, people, people will find you if you're, if you're doing good work and, and, you know, you're, you're putting yourself out there. Um, so yeah, you know, as you build and grow, um, you certainly will get a network. Um, you know, we're, we're not working. Uh, I, I wouldn't say we, we don't have a network now. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think, uh, when we started, we, we had none and, you know, it was just me and I was freelancing and, you know, kind of scrapping for small jobs, uh, in the town I live in, uh, uh, but also, you know, working on blogging and attending conferences and trying to speak and, and that sort of stuff. And, uh, it just kind of grew organically from there. Yeah. So you, you, you got, you, so you made an interesting point because I mean, either 
So you you did not feel the need for the network of people. And when I when you say network, I am assuming it's not the people who would actually do the work. It's about people who you will work with. Are you talking about network of people of your prospect clients, or at least people who can give you references and people who can get you more business? Is that the network we're talking about? Just uh, yeah. I mean, I would I would say it applies for both. Um, I. When I started, um, you know, our, our focus is uh, Python and Django development and uh, the initial team I had kind of put together as, as the company grew, I hadn't met most of them for, you know, the first couple of years that we worked together. Um, and, and it wasn't until, you know, we, we were, we've worked with uh, somebody out, uh, out of New Zealand, you know, our company is I, I guess we're based in the States. Officially, we're registered in the States, but we have uh, a lot of folks from Europe and um, yeah, we, hadn't, we hadn't met a lot of them for uh, years. So it's, um, yeah, we, we started with, with no network, both for clients and for, you know, kind of a team and hiring people and, and the location where I'm at. Uh, it, it's maybe better now, but uh, 10, 15 years ago was not... Uh, we didn't really have a lot of opportunity as far as tech uh, where I am. And the key, key for growth for you especially, especially is, um, as you're saying, it, is, it was more about getting your word, getting yourself out, like going and talking, speaking in these conferences and writing about it, just showing your thought leadership. And Python Django, you know, back in the days, it was not that popular as it is now. So it was still a very niche, very small community. So you were recognized as uh, as a leader in the in the um, in the community by doing some good work and just talking about it. You know, is that is that the idea for you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I I'm hesitant. I, I I I hate the term thought leader, but um, yeah, you know, we uh, it it was early days and there wasn't uh, a lot of there weren't a lot of people. Out there doing professional work in it, uh, so we, you know, I, I could kind of come in and talk about what I was doing, and that was, you know, new and interesting at the time. Why did you pick Python Django? Um, why, like, you know? Like, yeah, I I was doing a lot of work in in WordPress and just felt like I was kind of outgrowing what I could do there, and was sort of looking for a framework that was not. You know, built around blogging or, or something like that. I was I was building a real estate site at the time that connected to MLS and pulled in all the listings and stuff. And trying to cram it into like a WordPress plugin was not the, the way to go. And um, I had seen I had played around with Ruby on Rails a little bit and kind of played with Python and Django. And Python and Django kind of just fit my head better than than Ruby and Rails Ruby on Rails did. Uh, and I think I I kind of saw Ruby on Rails was by that time, um, and there were a lot of agencies out there that were offering, you know, Ruby on Rails specific kind of consulting. And I saw Django as being, you know, two three years behind that curve, uh, and and figured that might be a good place to hang my hat and and sort of expect that it was going to do the same thing that Rails was going to do or Rails had already done. Right, right. So um, it's also interesting because you chose. Django Python at the time when it was not popular. So you must have seen something, uh, you know, because people follow where 
where the cloud is, like which everyone is doing, you want to tend to do that because that's a demand. But you kind of went the other direction and picked something that you liked. Um, did you have some vision about this growing or you like, is it, was it just because you liked the way it was, it, it is, it, it, you like the way to program in it or was there something else that made you, you know, choose yeah. that? Uh, I, I did. It, it, one of the philosophies of, of Python is that there's kind of one right way to do things. And, and I think, you know, certainly there's, there's many ways you can do it, but uh, the, you know, kind of best practice and convention says, you know, everybody should kind of do it this way. And I think um, Ruby was much more creative and, and, you know, it's, it's, they, they call it, there, there's more than one way to do it. There's some acronym there for that, uh, that it's a, it's a language where there's more than one way to do it. And um, <laughs> uh, for me, that was hard. Like I, you know, I'd pick up somebody's code and I had a hard time following it because they used a different way than, than somebody else. And um, the, the other really impressive thing with Django was their documentation. It was um, far in a way better than, than Rails or, or anything else out there I had used. So uh, kind of between those two, it, it made sense to me. And I think the business aspect came later. Like I, I, could, I could build what I was trying to accomplish in Python and Django and, and that worked for me. And that kind of got me using it and writing about it and all that. But uh, I could also see you know, as I did that, like maybe this thing is, has legs and is not going to be a flash in the pan type project. Do you feel like getting so niche focused with those, you know, Python and Django allowed you to get strategic about how to network? I'm circling back to the first question. You know, yeah. Uh, unintentionally. Absolutely. Like looking back on it now that, that was good that, uh, you know, advertising yourself we we probably know now like just saying like yeah we do web development or we we're a web agency like that's it's a huge net you're in a pool with a lot of different people or a lot of different agencies and um generally not a great idea to to operate that way i don't think i realized that at the time but um in, in hindsight it was great that yeah that was our niche and and we could kind of at the time be uh sort of front runners and there's a couple other agencies out there that uh, started around the same time we did that are both successful and, you know, we're all friends and, you know, happy to kind of share leads of, uh, between each other and all that. But um, yeah, I think, I think having that niche uh, really helped us focus. And, and I, I think, you know, over the years, we, we kind of flirted with getting out of it and doing more stuff. We, we are a full stack agency. So um we do UX, we do DevOps, we do JavaScript stuff. Um, and, and we flirted with kind of pushing those things more, but I think we've always fallen back on Django as our kind of core competency. And, and you know, we wanna help people get websites from idea on a napkin to, you know, running in production uh, in Django. And so we, we have all these other kind of services and uh, abilities to help people do that. It's an interesting thing that I think a lot of agencies struggle with, you know, especially from a growth perspective is trying to figure out what they want to be known for. I mean, it's a, 
in marketing, that's, you know, number one problem, you know, as a lifetime marketer over here, my biggest question is I can market anything, but who do you want to talk to? Who's your target audience? You know, and I think it's smart that you guys, uh, you know, that the niche allows you to fill a hole in a brain, you know, so people go, okay, mm -mm, it's easy for them to refer. It's easy for them to sell. Like, even if it wasn't conscious for you, it makes it super simple to say, oh yeah, those guys are the experts. And then it ends up actually being the reality. Like you yeah. are the experts. You are, you know, for all intents and purposes, a thought leader yeah. <laughs> in that space. So. <laughs> and uh, it, it's been interesting too, because we primarily marketed to the people that don't, that not like the people that know us aren't the people signing the checks. Um, which would generally, you, you wouldn't want to operate that way. Um, but, but we found we kind of have a back door in that, you know, a project comes into a company and their development team says, you know what, this is over our head. Like we need help. And they're going to talk to the person that writes the checks and say, we okay. should really hire these guys. They seem like they know what they're doing. I've been reading their blog. You know, they, they helped me learn, you know, what I know now. Uh, so that's, yeah, that, that was also purely accidental. And I think, um, you know, if it's kind of against common wisdom that, you know, you, you probably want to be selling to, to somebody who can actually purchase what you're doing. Not necessarily. <laughs> you know, I'd actually disagree with you on that one. I think that influencer sale, I don't know what the official name is it. So I'm stamping an influencer sale right now. You heard it here first is a big, you know, is a big opportunity for folks like us in this space too because you're getting in you know the buyer isn't always the most knowledgeable person you know the buyer is the one having running marketing teams in the past I trust my team to bring me challenges and solutions if they say I want to buy this software I say tell me why you need it and how much more money is it going to make us and then I'll sign the check but I'm not the one out right. there researching so when you're in with the people who are the influencers and the decision, you know, they're going to influence the decision maker. You've got it in. And that person is going to take you from this company to this company and this, you know. Yes. So like, and we've, we've seen fruitful. that for sure. We, you know, somebody was a developer at one shop and now they're a CTO at a new place. And they said, oh, yeah, they're we worked with, with you. It was great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, that's been great. Totally. It's, um, you know, it's a, I actually think it's a smarter strategy because you're not always in pitch mode. Right, right. You no, know, you're balancing out kind of your multiple revenue streams with the people that you know are going to butter your bread versus the people that you're not quite sure what kind of bread you're buying yet. It always <laughs> yeah. comes back to food. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, and I'm I'm terrible at uh, pitching in general. I would say I, I'm I'm happy to kind of like speak about what we know, but I'm not a sales. I'm not in sales and marketing, and I'm like lost when it comes to that stuff. So it's great that we can kind of keep the technical slant and, and it works for us. So let's talk about your agency for a quick minute, because you guys are a little bit of a different animal than some of the other folks we talked to, which, I, I, you know, you hinted at it earlier, but you guys are fully remote. You're in seven countries, if I'm not mistaken, and you've been uh, remote yeah, since I, day one. I don't know the current count. It's it's right around there. We, we just started working with somebody in Brazil who's uh, uh, the first... <laughs> Not the first. We we had somebody in South America before, and they moved to Sweden. They live in Sweden. They still work with us, uh, but um, yeah. So around seven, I would say. We'll we'll give uh, you seven or eight. We'll give you like seven plus. How's that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Again, it was a function of of where I was. Like I, I you know started in this small town, no tech scene whatsoever, and. Uh, that I, I couldn't afford to bring somebody out here at the time. I was a freelancer, just, you know, going from one to two people. 
And uh, I had no interest in moving someplace else. Uh, and I'd been involved in open source just through Django um, doing you know, kind of collaborative development remotely. So it didn't seem that odd at the time. This was 2007, just to kind of hire people and work with them remotely. Uh, and that just kind of grew and I never, you know, nobody, I, I, th I think it was, you know, it's a perk, um, which I think people are coming around to and figuring out uh, more recently. But, um, you know, we've had people that have worked with us and have moved to, you know, three different countries in that time or across the country and uh, they can keep working with us because we don't have a central place. And I, I think being remote from the beginning was a huge advantage. I, I see the challenge in going from a kind of co-located company to remote, or I, I think one of the hardest ones is a co-located company with some remote people. Um, I, I think it, it doesn't work well unless everybody is kind of in that remote mindset. Uh, you, you end up with you know, people having conversations around the office and then they wonder why their remote workers are out of touch. Uh, so, um, you know, you really have to kind of have conversations uh, in places where everybody can can read them, whether it's, you know, Slack or Basecamp or email or whatever. Uh, the the guy who's the CTO of GitHub now, Nademan, had a thing like a, a long time ago, he posted online. I, I wish it's not up anymore. I, I wish it were because uh, it was great. And it was, um, it was like a blog post that said everybody phones in. And it was kind of like they, they when they had meetings, even though there were some people, you know, I'm, I'm sure we've all been in meetings where there's like a bunch of people in a conference room and you're calling in and you realize like you're, you're not on the same level ground as everybody else. You know, you can't see expressions and, and you don't know what's going on. So uh, you know, his post was basically saying, even when you're all in the same building, everybody phones in. So everybody's kind of on equal ground. Yeah. So it's interesting. You are the, I think, the, the only com uh, company last, the people that we spoke to who have the largest remote presence or largest presence in most of the countries. So, and when you say you have people in, you know, seven or more countries, how do you go about hiring? Like there must be some, so are they like freelancers, contractors or other companies that you partner with? How do you pick and how do you choose who to work with? I know that you are specialists, so you must be looking for a really high quality coder who has done something substantial in Python, Django's because you want to make sure that they stay up, you know, uh, keep the quality, but then how do you go about, you know, finding them? Yeah. Um, I would say most of the people that we work, the people that are really successful here have been freelancers, have been contractors in the past. Um, they're, they're used to managing their own time, managing clients and, and all that. Um, th those people tend to do really well with us. Um, people that are used to kind of having a day job where they, you know, go in and go out and, and, have somebody else telling them what to do every day uh, tend to kind of flail uh, at our company a little bit, um, and and so yeah, I'm a lot of people are people um, I've seen through the open source world um, where uh, you know oh yeah we've been using you know some package that this person wrote and let's reach out and see if they're available uh, or people I've seen speak 
Um, it, it generally, they, they have some presence in the community um, before we're reaching out to them. That's not always the case, but, but often it is. And uh, as far as kind of how we work with them, generally the international folks uh, will work with as contractors. They have, uh, they usually have a, you know, a, a small business kind of registered in their own company and our business pays their business. Uh, we have been working with a company lately called Pilot. There's two pilots out there. One is bookkeeping and the other one does like international payments. And they have a really cool system where they, they've already registered businesses in, in a bunch of countries. So potentially we could hire somebody Well, it, they'd be an employee of their business, but we could pay them through that and, and kind of manage it that way. But that scenario hasn't come up yet. Generally kind of, I, I find once people start, once people have jumped through that hoop of, of freelancing and contracting and having their own business, it's not a big deal for them. Like they, they don't have any desire to become an employee again. You know, they figure out how to write off their, you know, part of their house as an office expense and all that. So uh, um, generally people are happy with that. And then, then folks in the States are uh, employees. We usually do kind of contract to hire um, type arrangements. So we, we kind of do a trial run with somebody for, uh, you know, a few months or a year or whatever. And then if things are working out, jump through the hoops of, uh, you know, you have to register a business in each state and then you have to um, do some calculations on what percentage of your revenue came from people working in each state and pay taxes that way. So it's certainly a, has a hassle and um, a lot of time, for a long time, we kind of operated in a gray area where some of our contractors, you know, maybe didn't check all the boxes for being a contractor. And, and that was a big reason why we kind of switched people to employees. Um, you know, they, we, we, we do offer them a lot of autonomy where they can set their own hours and decide how they want to work and all that. But, um, you know, we wanted to be able to pay them bonuses and fly them to conferences and things like that, that you wouldn't normally do with a, a contractor. Do you feel like that brings some sort of level of loyalty to the brand as well? Like as an agent, you know, I, it, it's an interesting, it's an interesting pivot point, especially with the laws in, in the States when you're hiring, you know, somebody either I'll pick on Massachusetts because we have horrible laws there. It's one of the worst States to hire people in because of all of the things, you know, it's expensive. So my question for you is, you know, having people, going from contractors to freelancers, you know, especially in the States, Massachusetts being like a really high state, expensive state to have hire people in, for example, you know, but you guys, you know, being global, does it, bringing some of these people in as employees, does that, do you find there's like a little bit, I mean, maybe you don't, but I would say your staff, do you find that there's a little bit more sense of loyalty and, you know, camaraderie and culture, I guess, you know, for whatever culture you can create out of a, a virtual team. That's yeah. my next question too. How do you create <laughs> culture out of a virtual team? So, yeah, uh, I don't know if that does. I, I think the, the biggest thing for us is uh, kind of that trust and autonomy, um, trusting people to, to do the work that, that they're able to do and, and giving them the flexibility and, and space to do that. Uh, I, I think uh, if you asked some of the folks that we work with, um, 
that's probably going to be their answer as to why they wouldn't, you know, want to leave. I, most of our team has been with us for over 10 years, um, which is kind of unheard of in the tech industry. Uh, and, you know, uh, we can't pay as much as uh, Google or Facebook or one of these companies, but we can offer them a really solid uh, kind of work-life balance and also that kind of autonomy to, to figure out their own role and, and to do the work they want to do the way they want to do it. Um, which I think, uh, they don't, they, you know, people don't get in a lot of places, even if they are working remotely. Uh, I, I think, you know, one of the, the idea having being distributed, not only like geographically, but like enough that the time zones are all over the place. Uh, we've kind of learned to work asynchronously and it's really nice for people that have families and you know like it's not uncommon to see somebody say like hey it's nice out i'm gonna go play with my kids or you know we're gonna go sledding or whatever uh in the middle of the day because you know they nothing's going on or you know they can work later or they don't need to you know work nine to five every single day uh so having that flexibility, I think is something that um, promotes the, people feel more loyal to that, I think, than kind of employee contractor stuff. How freedom. Do, oh, go ahead. Freedom, freedom, having freedom is a great point because employees would definitely love that. I mean, if the, if the organization is giving them the flexibility and have them work at their own hours, and if your business is set up such that, that it allows them to do that, it's hard to get out of you know that uh, uh, that that routine. Um, my question is again, I'm, I'm still curious about how you have been working with people all over the place, right? So you have seven plus countries. You said you have someone as far as New Zealand. So how far would you go? Like you know, I know you said you have some Europe, some Brazil, some New Zealand. So would you say that there is no boundary? I mean, you would work with people anywhere. And if yes, then how do you coordinate with everybody, right? I mean, and I'm assuming, I mean, you are not the one, or maybe you are, I don't know how, how you have set up, like who is the one person who is taking the ownership and making sure things are aligned as a team, everyone is, I mean, you know, so there are a lot of questions in this statement. So I'm, you know, yeah. you get what I'm asking, so. Yeah, um, yeah time zones are a challenge uh, and it's, it, it's, it's hard and I think sometimes it makes the work better and sometimes you know it makes the work a lot more challenging. Um, if you can get everybody on this cycle of, you know, we communicate via some written manner and, and generally it's not like a quick message in Slack. It's like, a, I'm gonna take a couple minutes and write down a thoughtful, you know, thing in, a, in an issue or on a discussion board somewhere or something like that, uh, I think you get much better communication What, regardless of time zone um, when people have to kind of think about what they want to say versus just, you know, blurting something out in a meeting or on Slack or whatever. Um, you know, that being said, but there's, there's challenges with it. We, our clients are in the States for the most part and um, uh, we, don't have like our developers are working directly with our clients. So um, the the guy that works for us in New Zealand, 
he can overlap with uh, our clients on the East Coast in the afternoon. Um, but, you know, if he has something that's like not working right or whatever, and then we, everybody comes in in the morning, it's kind of like, oh shoot, you know, like, do we ramp, do we bring somebody else in to, to work on this or do we just, you know, cool our jets and, and wait a few hours? Uh, so, so that's a challenge. And, and I, I certainly would say, it, you know, it's a lot easier to work within a few hours, you know, having, having f at least four hours of overlap is, is really nice. Um, uh, beyond that, you know, having everybody in the office at the same time, I don't think matters, but when you only have an hour or two of overlap, that can be a real challenge. Like we, we generally, the, mm -hmm the person that works for us in New Zealand, we generally try not to pair him with somebody that's working with us in Europe because it's like almost a 12 hour difference. So somebody's, you know, somebody's going to be making a sacrifice there. And, and so we try not to do that. Uh, but, you know, we, we've also kind of figured out ways to, to make it work. Um, it, it's, yeah, it's hard. <laughs> the autonomy yeah. must help you know, the ability to have everybody and the flexibility. So. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, some people will, people are willing to make a sacrifice to, to make it happen, whether, you know, if that means they have to get on a call at, you know, 7am or 7pm. Um, but we really don't want to ask that of our team on a regular basis. Like that's not fair. Um, so yeah, we, we try to kind of line things up where, people can work during their business hours or, you know, we've got somebody who I'll see comments from him on Slack at like three in the morning, his time. And that's just when he likes to work. And, you know, when he's, when he's, I think he's got a handful of kids at home and, you know, probably <laughs> when his house is quiet and all that, and that's fine too. Uh, you know, we really just ask that, that folks kind of communicate where they're at and, and people know when we have a meeting with a client or, you know, things that have to happen at a certain time, but other than that, they're kind of free to do what they want. Um, and, and I think there was, there was something else in your question that, that made me think of, uh, the, one of the base camp folks philosophies is hiring managers of one, which, you know, basically people that don't need managers that, that can manage themselves. And that's really big for us. Um, having people that they, they just, they know what needs to get done. They know when they need to be there. They know when they don't need to be there and uh, not having somebody, it, having, trying to chase people down in this, you know, arrangement doesn't work. It's, it's super frustrating and, you know, trying to figure out like, we, we've had people where we've hired them and, and they just literally don't show up, you know, but in an office, that's obvious. Like, yeah, they, you know, they didn't, they, they're not in the office, but it, when you're working remotely, it's kind of hard to tell. And you can, you know, kind of like fudge your way around it. Like, oh yeah. You turn your slack on. So it's light, but you know, you're not. <laughs> yeah. Like they're, they're doing like some code commits, but like, it doesn't seem like that much. And then you kind of get a week or two in you're like, they're not working. Like, you know, they yeah. probably like got another job or something. And, um, so you're not yeah, hiring so juniors like over here. You're not getting interns. You're not getting straight out of school peeps. Usually you have people with a few years. We aren't, we've really, I, I would, I, I'm, I keep coming back to wanting to do that. Um, but we've really struggled with it in the past. And I, I think we, we struggle where a lot of agencies do like 
we make our money on billable work uh, mm -hmm. and, and we have to be a certain amount billable to be profitable um, and, and kind of figuring out a way that we can, you know, we're not at a place where we have to be, you know, anywhere near 100% billable, but uh, figuring out ways we can carve out time to really mentor somebody uh, and, and do that remotely uh, is not a nut we've really cracked yet. Uh, I know, I know it's possible, uh, but I think in the past, we've kind of gone into it with this manager of one philosophy and uh, intern, you know, or people that are just starting their career rarely kind of have that uh, skill yet. So, um, and, and I think that's why we do well with the freelancers and contractors and people who've already figured that stuff out. Well, it's probably a combo what you're doing sorry for me when i keep interrupting you but it's you know the type of work you're doing versus what you're doing versus like even the other people that you've hired do people have the skills to manage not that they don't but you know that takes a different kind of personality that you know warrants those all right room sorry you know yeah I'll, I'll come back to the believability question but i i heard something you, when you said um the manager of one and having your developer work directly with the clients, right? So I can understand that happening. I know agencies do that over here when their people are in states, but when you know developers are outside in other countries, how do you trust them? How do you do you feel you know um, issue or, or a concern about what happens if because you don't know him, you have never seen him, you don't know you know. Uh, if they're going to stay put with your with your organization, or you know, may just go behind your back and work directly with the customer, have that have those thoughts occurred to you, or do you? I mean, how do you how, how have you dealt with that scenario, or maybe that has happened to you in the past? I don't know. I mean, yeah, that was something. Uh, so we're in this really lucky place where. You know, now most of the folks, like I said, have been with us for over 10 years. I, I have very, like, I, I trust them and, you know, everybody has their weak points, but I know everybody's weak points. So I know, you know, okay, this person is not going to be a good fit for, for this specific role, but, you know, this person's going to be a good fit and, and I can let them run with it and, and it's all good. Um, early on when... You know, I didn't have that yet. Uh, it was hard. Um, and, and I think that's part of kind of that growth from being a freelancer to kind of running your own agency that you have to give up control. Like, otherwise you're never going to do it. Um, and, and I've definitely had it like early on. I, I can think of a project that it totally blew up in my face. Like I had a team of people and we were all working on this and I got ghosted by like, two of the three people, you know, a couple of weeks before that we were, the project was due. And, and uh, that was terrifying. Like, <laughs> uh, luckily the, the client was kind of understanding and, and the other person on the project really kind of picked up the slack, but um, yeah, it, it's, it's hard. And, and, you know, now I can, I can put people in that I, trust and, and have have that rapport with and, and know what they're going to do. But early on, um, yeah, it was a little more, uh, a little more kind of cowboy and, you know, keeping your fingers crossed that it worked. And, and I, you know, I can think of better ways to handle that now, but I it was, you know, 
I had never done, I, the other thing is I had never worked at an agency before kind of starting our own. So I had no idea how it all worked. And I think there's such better information out there now than there was 15 years ago about how to do all this stuff. Um, so I was definitely figuring it out as I went along and, and definitely made some mistakes along the way. So how did you get into this role? Sorry, Verona, I cut you off. I don't know what you're going to ask, but I figured it was a good segue, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, so um, I graduated from college with a computer science degree in 2000. And that was right when the dot-com bust was happening. And uh, I kind of quickly realized it, it was like me coming out of college, competing against people that had 20 years experience that were like willing to do anything so they could continue to pay their mortgage. Uh, so I kind of just skipped it. Like I, I, I moved to Colorado, I was a ski bum and I worked in a ski shop for a few years and slowly kind of worked my way back into uh, the computer uh, world. I, I worked at like a computer kind of repair place for a little bit in town and started doing um, some small business networking stuff. And then uh, those people I was working with were, you know, like struggling with a kind of really um, an email provider that was local to town that was, you know, this is before Gmail and, and before like who hosts your email was an obvious thing. Uh, AOL. <laughs> yeah, right. And the mailable DVDs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh started hosting email for people. And, and once the, you start doing that, then it's like, okay, your website comes along with it. Then it was like, can you make a change to my website? And uh, I had very little experience with, with kind of programming on the web, um, but sort of just stumbled onto it that way. And I was more into sitting in my home doing development than driving, you know, all over town all day, trying to, you know, figure out why somebody kicked an ethernet cable out of their computer or something. Um, Excuse me, sir. Is it plugged in? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, that, that, that's kind of how I ended up in it and then sort of worked my way into more and more development and, uh, you know, eventually kind of bigger clients to where, um, you know, it started just doing sort of brochure site type brochure site type stuff to uh, more kind of in-depth development, which is where I, I had more interest because I wasn't a designer. Um, so yeah, I, I fumbled through that for a while and then hired some designers to, to help me with that. But um, yeah, that's kind of how I ended up there. So where you're at fascinating to hear that you also you you basically taught yourself Python and programming, and you have reached a point where you are writing books about it. So that's that's pretty amazing and inspiration because um, I you know uh, we we talk to a lot of agency owners who have you know who are who are who are into this field either because they have done something similar or you know they have um, uh, they, they they did not they want to be flexible and, and independent but uh, from non-technical background to a to a technical focus agency shop is quite uh, you know I think a different uh, setup altogether 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, I did have a computer science degree. So, but a lot of that was like, you know, learning how, you know, logic gates work and like the insides of, uh, you know, how, how a computer kind of operates. And I did some C programming then. So I kind of had the basics of like how computer programming works, but nothing like, um, you know, what I ended up doing on the web. Yeah. Let's talk about how you run your agency. I have a couple of fun notes from our original chat before this episode. You guys do, I believe my note says you do some crazy stuff a different way than <laughs> other people. That's literally what the note says. You know, how, is it true that your books are fully transparent? Is that something we want to spend a few minutes talking about how you guys do that? I mean, it's just so interesting to me. And so, you know, it makes sense. But I would love to hear some of your thoughts and how you kind of got there if you're open to sharing. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, our, our, we use Zero for bookkeeping and um, everybody that's been with us for more than a, a couple of years has full access to that um, or read only, I guess. You know, they're not like making entries in there, but uh, they can go in and see it and they can see <laughs> how much everybody else makes. They can see how much I make. Um, they, uh, you know, they have info or insight into all that. And I, I think the, it kind of came from two different angles. One was I saw, I, I felt like I had a, a really good team and I was like terrified of losing them. And I have been in that role where it's all, you don't have any of that financial information and pretty quickly people jump to the conclusion that we're getting screwed here, you know, <laughs> or you're like going under person. and you need to find a new job <laughs> <laughs> or like the owner's just, you know, rolling in it. He's probably, you know, buying new houses and new cars and, you know, we're down here fighting for scraps. And mm. um, I, I wanted to cut that off before any of that, you know, started. And I wanted people to be able to see like, this is, you know, like how much we can, you know, when we pay people this much, this is how much the company makes and, and be able to connect the dots there. Um, and and uh, I think the other thing was, uh, I read this book called uh, Maverick by Ricardo Semler. And he is a guy is in Brazil who ran his company. Like he threw the, like every thing out the window, like any, any playbook, like it was, the company, you know, basically like totally open, like anybody could come to any meeting. I think he had like a rotating CEO and he would like let competitors come in and, and, you know, they did like manufacturing and stuff and let competitors come in and see like how they operated. And he, you know, just like everything, like uh, the books were open for, you know, everybody down to like the people that cleaned the floors to, you know, uh, up, up top and, um, and I just loved the idea of that transparency and that level of trust and saw that as a way to really um, kind of come together as a team. And, and so people can see like, how, I, don't, I don't know how you work when you don't see how you really affect the bottom line. You know, if you're just coming in and punching in and punching out and don't know, you know, what that means in, in the grand scheme of business, you know, I think we all have like, probably higher aspirations in business than to make money. But at the end of the day, like we're doing this to 
feed our families and, you know, have a place to live and all that. So um, seeing the, the full equation, I think, is really important for that. And it's interesting to hear that. I just want to add or ask one thing here. Um, have you, because we have also, you know, played with that idea a little bit, but we are, um, I mean, I, I feel we have a culture difference uh, because our team was overseas and then people don't have that mindset of open book, uh, open concept, right? So. And, and I know you also work with people from different companies. Have you seen, and I'm assuming they also know everything or is it only about your full-time employees who are in States? Because in, in States, I can see people uh, getting that level of maturity where they can think beyond, you know, um, they, they, can, they can see the contribution, like how their contribution is affecting everybody and how everyone else getting paid. But in other countries, have you seen any difference or you, I don't think so. I haven't. Um, we, it, it definitely requires some education, you know, just, just giving somebody like access to accounting software. Uh, I, I learned pretty quickly, like some people, you know, I, I, I can kind of navigate that and, and understand, you know, where things are going, but explaining to people, you know, how taxes work in the States, like, oh yeah, we were going to pay estimated taxes quarterly, like that's not a thing that everybody's used to. And, you know, explaining even concepts like accounts receivable, like, you know, somebody will come in and look at the banks and, you know, the bank account and be like, well, it seems like we're really low on money. And it's like, well, no, like, look, accounts receivable is really high and we don't, you know, everybody pays. So like you have to kind of yeah. teach people how to look at, at those different numbers uh, and, and figure it out. Uh, so, uh, for a long time, I, I kind of distilled that and, and kind of presented that to the team monthly and I've gotten away from it, but um, I, I think we'll kind of get more into that again. We we just started working with a fractional CFO uh, in the past. We've just had a bookkeeper that's uh, kind of done our books and invoicing monthly, but not much beyond that. So I'm, I'm excited about having some deeper insight into the numbers and what they mean and being able to kind of show that to the team. It goes back to staffing and who you're bringing in to be able to understand that, you know, it's, it's, you have to get a certain level of career experience to understand, even be able to ask intelligent questions about what is this and have the confidence to ask the questions rather than be like, you know, the junior people is usually where some of that paranoia lives. Um, so it's, it's an interesting model. How do you, how do you guys create culture? Like that's one I'm, I, I wanted to ask it earlier, but we were, we headed off on a tangent that was interesting too, but you know, remote, it must be, I mean, are there regularly scheduled meetings that you're all on or is it like, you know, how have you found that? I think that's something a lot of people right now struggle with too, being all remote and the various stages of vaccinations and if and when and how, and, you know, I'd love to hear some of your thoughts or insights specifically around that. And maybe sure, it's not yeah. necessary. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I have mixed feelings on it. I think most of the folks, like, I know some agencies, like they really are like a close knit team and they're like a family and, you know, they go out to happy hour on Fridays and, and all that. And, um, that's not us. Uh, I, I don't, I wouldn't say we don't have culture, but I would like, I would never 
say like, hey, let's have a meeting Friday night and we'll all like hang out and drink beer remotely or, you know, like do some game or something like uh, everybody's going home to their families and, and doing that. And I wouldn't ever want to assume that what we're doing here is more important than that. Um, so with culture, I think uh, early on, we started meeting up at conferences. Uh, so like for us, DjangoCon, there's one in US and one in Europe, usually uh, every year. Um, so, so we would start doing meetups at those and meeting people. And then as we kind of grew a little bit and, you know, we're a little more financially stable, we started doing um, uh, offsite meetups. So we would do, we'll do like one week where we go someplace, it's usually someplace for somebody, it's going to be someplace exotic because everybody's coming from different areas. <laughs> so um, we went to Greece, Portugal, uh, Mexico. Um, what else? I think there was one, oh, Thailand. Uh, we kind of promised the the guy in New Zealand that you know he's usually flying like a day and a half to get to wherever we are. So. We did Thailand, which one year, which was only like 12 hours for him or something like that. Uh, and, and those are great. And, you know, I, again, like I kind of have mixed feelings on those, like, you know, pulling people away from their family for a week. Uh, and we've talked about maybe having it where families can come um, uh, or something like that. And, you know, it's expensive, but it's probably cheaper than renting an office space for a year so. Uh, that that's well worth it. And I, I will say I re the first time meeting people in person was, was really eye-opening. Like there was some people that, you know, I kind of had in my head, like who they were and, and, you know, why they acted the way they did and, and meeting them in person. It was like, Oh, like, that's not who you are at all. Like, you know, you're really different. And um, so that was huge for kind of that team building morale, culture, all that, uh, I think kind of society norms or cultural norms are a real challenge when you're working with people with, from all these different countries. We have a, a developer in Germany who's told me like, it's impossible for me to understand feedback from people in the States because everybody is like, yeah, it's great. You know, like, and he's like, like in, in Germany, he would be like, no, I don't like this. It's not good. Like, you know, and that's like, you're, you're direct and honest. And in the States, like we sugarcoat everything. And so he's, he told me, you know, like if somebody tells me it's good, then I know it's terrible. And if they say it's awesome, then I guess it's probably pretty good. Like, uh, you know, so like all of us kind of figuring out these different barometers of, of, of kind of how people act. Um, and, and I think it was, it was interesting. I think in general, I could say like the, the folks in Europe were a lot more direct than the folks in the States and, and, and all of us kind of figuring that out and having a couple, you know, kind of difficult conversations around that. Like, you know, in the States we're like, God, why is this guy being such an asshole? And it's like, no, oh, he's not being an <laughs> asshole. It's just like, you know, this is like, he's telling you the truth and he's not, it's not an emotional discussion for him but like in the states we're all like oh you know he's hurting my feelings and um so so yeah that's been a, a learning experience for sure it's so it, you know it, it's it, it's so clear to me as you're talking like you guys have built 
in this remote, you know, virtual agency that you've built, you've built such a wonderful clarity around your brand and who you are and who's going to be successful that it speaks. Like, I don't even know. I don't know if you know that I'm sure you do, you know, but the, the value that you're like people, their value system that you're hiring for too, you know, and what, you know, working at many different companies versus, you know, at some point you reach an age where you don't want to go out for beer on Friday. You just want to go home and eat pizza and watch television or whatever it is. You know what I mean? And so in the States we're so ingrained is that's a piece of how you meet people or like, what if you don't drink? Or what if you don't live in an area that, you know, you have a massive commute and you always miss out on that. Like, it's just so interesting to hear the way that you guys have been able, you know, the in-person sounds like it's a major value, but when you're together, you know that it's a major value rather right. than taken for granted. Right. Um, it's just, it's just, I mean, I could listen to you talk about it all day because I think it's really <laughs> interesting. That's super cheesy, but all right. So we've, we've got a few more official questions and we've okay. gone uh, off screen off script here a little bit, but it was an interesting conversation. So I want to go back to some of our, you know, some of our, uh, our regularly scheduled questions. So um, you guys as in, you know, normally would ask you what your superpower is as an agency. I think we've kind of hit the nail on the head there a couple of times with your niche and your remote abilities there. So you as an agency owner, what keeps you up at night? What's, what's that thing that you roll around in bed going, ugh, ugh. Um, it's probably, I've, I've really strong faith in our team's ability to deliver. And I don't have concerns really anymore about, you know, like running out of money or not being able to make payroll, you know, which definitely like there were some years where that, that was scary and kept me up at night. I think now probably more like we're working with larger clients. They've got big websites that, uh, you know, are, are, they're out there in the public. Like people, people know about them, they see them. And yeah, like, you know, that one of those disasters, like, you know, there's, there's some bug in it that like, you know, somebody somebody gets access to it and deletes the database or something you know like just like a major production outage that's like irrecoverable or you know like you know sometimes i have that feeling of like oh god like what what if what if something happened you know what if one of our clients aws credentials got hacked and you know there's certainly ways ways to deal with that but clients kind of have a you know they're comfortable with a certain level of risk and uh, how much are they um, willing to pay to have kind of redundancy and, and backups and uh, everybody's different with that. But yeah, I think that one, I, I generally sleep pretty well at night. Um, but yeah, kind of like having somebody that's got a big launch or something and, and you know, the wheels fall off or something like that. But, yeah, what one little uh, thing did you not check? And yeah, <laughs> that, that scares me sometimes, but um, yeah, generally, I, I, I try not to uh, take work much beyond, I, I think I learned that early on, like I was a train wreck starting this and, and stressed out and, you know, kind of a constant level of anxiety. Uh, and was like, 
this, I, I don't want to live my life this way. And I think that's when I kind of learned, like, I, I need to give up control on this. Otherwise I'm like, this is not enjoyable. Um, and, and I think that was a, a huge eye opener for me. You know, I just being like, what, what's going to happen is going to happen. And I'm going to hire good people and I'm going to let them do their job. And I'm not going to stay up at night worrying about whether it's going to happen or not. It's, it's great to hear that. I mean, um, many agencies owners that we speak to, they bring up, you know, when we ask this question, they would say, you know, growth, sales, business share, those new clients acquisitions. So those are the things keep them up at night. So um, it's interesting to hear that you are, you are in a pretty good spot. Like you don't have those challenges. Then let me ask you, like, what is your growth strategy? Is that something that you you stay away from? You're not looking for growth, or is that not something that um, is worrying you? Like, how do you look at growth? Yeah, um, yeah. I it's. I think you you like, you know, like t talking about like staying up at night worrying about sales and stuff. I I feel like you're if you're in this business long enough, you realize like there are ups and downs and like the business, like it always comes uh, and it's, you know, as soon as you start freaking out about it, like a new client comes in the door or whatever. And I I've kind of just gotten my Zen on with that. Like, you know, the, the last half of, of last year, we like, I, I think at one point, like I checked that, like our contact form was still working on our website. It was like, we aren't getting any new leads and it was totally fine. Cause our, our, you know, we couldn't really take on any new leads at the time, but, um, and then, you know, the beginning of this year, there's like, it's like, I'm in meetings all day talking to people about new projects. So, uh, yeah, you just, you, you get used to that. And, and as far as, um, sorry, I lost my train of thought. Your, your question was slightly different on that. I love the comment though, about checking to make sure the contact form, because <laughs> I think a hundred percent of people listening to that have done that at least yeah. once in their career. <laughs> like, is it working? Am, like is something broken? Did I miss something? Um, I think we we're talking about growth. Like what are your future plans? Growth, what are right. you thinking? Where do you so, want to take the agency? Yeah. I, um, a while ago at one of our kind of offsite retreats, we, we had this discussion and, and we definitely operate more as a, you know, democracy than a dictatorship. Um, and so we kind of talked as a team, like, what does the next 10 years look like? What do we, where do we want to be? What do we want to be doing? Um, and the general consensus was growth is not a priority for us. And we would rather be saying no to people occasionally than then growing 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 and i i think part of that is the stress that that brings you know the more people you have the more mouths you have to feed the more likely you are to take business that might not be you know you see some red flags but you're like i gotta take it because we gotta keep you know we gotta keep this machine going um and and since i've kind of we've kind of come to that conclusion. I've talked with a couple of, you know, at least a couple of agency owners that went, that made that jump from the 10 person agency to the 40, 50 person agency. And they were like, and I'm, I'm jealous. Like, I, I kind of wish we didn't do that. Like it's, you know, it's not as enjoyable as it used to be. And, you know, my, my 
my understanding from everybody I talked to is like, you can be 15, maybe 20 people, but after that you're 40, 50, like it's hard to operate in that middle ground. Cause you need sales, you need HR, you need like this hierarchy that then you have to fill in. Um, and, Creative and I'm sure there's, what's that, you know, deliverable adjacent people, yeah. support staff, you know, your CFOs, your, yeah. you know, and I'm sure there's there's counterexamples to that, but but generally that's what I hear people say. And so our our team has been pretty happy at that kind of 15-ish number, um, and and we can operate relatively a, a, a flat structure with that. You know, I I can kind of have in my head everything that everybody's doing, and um, you know it, we don't need multiple managers and, and all that. And so that works for us and we're profitable and it's hard at times. It's hard to see a good client come to the door and be like, we just can't do it, you know? Um, but it's, it's not often that that happens. And it's, I think it's really worth it to not have the flip side of it, which is there's no new clients coming in and, you know, how do we, how do we keep people busy now? How do we, you know, keep, keep the money coming in? So uh, we're pretty comfortable with that. I, we, we have been doing more um, kind of support and maintenance style work uh, lately. We, we found like generally a, a big client comes to us. We, we, we build out some big site for them. And then the idea is, you know, when we start, the idea is kind of like, yeah, you know, like you'll hand it off to your team or whatever. Uh, and, and they enjoy working with us and want to keep working with us. So, so we've kind of figured out a way to make sort of part-time, just keep the lights on or, you know, new features trickling in uh, work. And, and that I can see maybe being like a more kind of scalable business, but this custom development and, and having, you know, we, we kind of pride ourselves at everybody's senior level developers. Um, that, that's a harder business to scale, I think. And, and um, yeah, I, I think we're pretty happy at the size we're at. Cool. Let me ask you this. Since you were so intuitive when you started picking Python and Django, you know, at this point, what do you see? What do you see in the future? What's coming? You know, what are you exciting about? What's next? Give us some predictive oh, insights, courtesy of yeah. Pete. I, um, you know, I, I'm, <laughs> I, I would only conjecture about things on the kind of you know development and technology side because that's my background. And honestly, like it's, it's kind of depressing to see where we've ended up. Like it, there's just the it the the idea that like a single person can do this anymore is is becoming less and less realistic uh you know when i started it was like yeah you had a webmaster or whatever and like that was the person that that managed your website and now like no you need somebody who's an expert in react and somebody who knows aws and somebody who knows you know backend development and um that like i, I don't know that that kind of makes me sad like i i don't know how you having to start out and having to like the barrier for entry is so high. I feel like, um, I don't know. And I don't know if we're, if there's anything happening that's, that's heading in the other direction. Uh, it just feels like we're adding, you know, layer upon layer upon layer. Uh, 
so I don't know. I, I, I've seen some fads come and go. Um, you know, I, I remember shortly after I got started with, with Django, like no SQL, like everybody needed a no SQL database. That was like, why doesn't Django have a no SQL database? Like I'm going to switch to another framework because I can't use my no SQL database. And like, yeah, people still use MongoDB and stuff, but generally like people learn like Postgres and MySQL are, are good products and, and there's a reason why we use them. And um, so, you know, and then it was, I, I think we're still kind of in the area of like, but, you know, everything needs to be like a, a JavaScript front end driven by some API back end. And, and I'm, I'm hoping that pendulum, you know, that I wouldn't call it a fad, but I think people are realizing not every site needs that. And, and we can do stuff more simply um, and, and we don't need to bring in, you know, React and uh, all this stuff into every single website we build. Uh, and we can actually build them a lot like faster and more reliable and, and deliver them faster to users than uh, if we do that. You know, that being said, we, we do React work and there's certainly places where, you know, really kind of dynamic front ends make sense, but um, it's not for every site. And so uh, I, I guess I would kind of hope that, that we kind of swing the pendulum back a little bit on the complexity and, and find that um, some simpler tooling can, can get people websites that work really well. Uh, but as far as where we're, you know, I, I don't have a lot of faith in that. <laughs> it seems like it's it's getting more and more complex and, and harder for your average person to to set up a website. It's interesting. It's like it's like if you want anything that isn't isn't gonna work on a no-code, like a Wix, Squarespace, one of these, you know, Webflow might be the middle middle junior ground of that but anything after you have to go right. with that stack of people because you just there's different levels of like you listed about half a dozen of them in there i'm right. not even going to try <laughs> interesting all right i have one final question if you were going to pick a superpower what's your superpower pete you personally we didn't you know we've talked a little bit about your story we've talked about your company you've talked about some of the interesting ways you guys run things what would you say is your your superpower? Oh gosh, that's a hard a question. Hard <laughs> um, Aside from surfing in snow country. <laughs> uh, yeah, I wish that were my superpower. I'm not quite there yet. <laughs> um, I would say probably, you know, I, I'm not the best developer in the world, and I, I know I don't. You know, there's be people that are better at operating an agency than me. Um, I, I think I probably maybe one thing that sets me apart is uh, the the thing that I kind of hinted at before, like the ability to not stress out about stuff and let stuff slide and and realize like we're we're all trying to wear a bunch of hats and keep a bunch of things in the air and and there's never enough time in the day and and things are going to drop and and that's okay um, and, and I think. I think that is the way this business works for me. And I think that kind of translates to how our business operates. And I, I think people feel that like there's, uh, there's an expectation that you get your work done and, and you're professional and all that, but nobody's expecting everything. And, and I think, um, 
you know, it's, we, we have new people come in and they're like, you know, Hey, I want to, you know, I'm, I was going to go to a conference in a couple months. Like, is that okay? And I'm like, yeah, it's fine. Like it's, we're going to be fine. And, and, you know, being like this agency that's, that's full stack, we have some areas where we don't have a lot of extra coverage. Like if one of our Django developers has some life event and needs to leave for a month, like that's really easy for us to fill in. But if our, you know, UX or JavaScript, you know, person, like we lose one of them, like that, that's harder. But I, I always try to make sure people know, like in a good way, like you're replaceable, like not like we're going to go hire somebody else, <laughs> but like this but is it's... not all, <laughs> this is not all on your shoulders, um, you know, and we'll figure it out and the company will continue and it's all going to be okay. And, um, I, you know, part of that, I think was working with some of our folks in Europe. We, we work with a guy in France who's like, yeah, I'm taking two months off. Like, and that's in France, that's totally normal. And, you know, the first time he told me that I was like, crap, what, like, how am I supposed to work? Like, you know, our client projects around this and we figured it out and it's fine. And um, so having, having that flexibility, uh, uh, if, if I had to say, uh, I, I'm, I'm not comfortable calling it a superpower, but I, I'd say that maybe that's something a little different that uh, is how I operate um, and, uh, yeah, I think it's totally a, a superpower for me. That is something I'm working on for myself. I mean, I just heard a talk earlier this morning. Um, I, you must have heard of um, the guy on Deepak Chopra. It's a doctor and he's yep. working on, you know, he's writing a book and he was talking about all of that, the mindfulness and how to control your anxiety and how to stay in the state of flow and always be calm and composed. You know, everybody right now is dealing with the stress. You know, something will happen bad for in their family, in their personal life, in their business. And how to keep yourself calm is a superpower, right? I mean, if you're able to do that, I mean, nothing better can happen. Nothing better should happen than that. So I'm, you know, that's, that's great to hear. It's called manage when people get hit by a bus. I know that's so morbid, but that's the running joke that I've always used with my teams. What are you going to do if that person gets hit by a bus? And they're like, that's disgusting. I'm like, something's going to happen. What are we going to do about it? You know, so make sure you document, make sure you, you know, so I I think that is a good superpower. So, well, this was great. Thanks so much for coming on and chatting with us. Um, We appreciate it. So where people can find you, make sure I'm not missing any from this list. Ready? So we have LinkedIn, Twitter. I am uh, IPMB, correct? Yes. Your company website, linkinloop.com. And then your books at highperformancedjango.com. Did I That's miss it. any other critical Pete Baumgartner links? Uh, we, we, I have been working on a new product that's uh, early days, but I'll throw it out there. Um, it's called AppPack and it's uh, AppPack.io, A-P-P-P-A-C-K. Nice, AppPack.io. Well, thank you so much. Um, that's it, everyone. If you learned something today or you learned how to do something different today in running your agencies, this podcast, please tell somebody about it. Um, thanks everyone. See you next time. Thanks for listening. Find our other episodes on agencies that build.com. Plus we're listed anywhere you find your favorite podcast.